the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Well, today is a very special day. It sure is. We're recording our 100th episode of the Ask Christopher West podcast, hosted by Wendy West. You know, recently somebody said, have you not thought of calling this the Ask Christopher and Wendy West podcast? And I responded, yes, indeed, we have thought of that. But it would change the way our podcast is ranked and oh, that's true. searched and all that. I don't want that. the name changed. So anybody who's asking that for my sake, don't don't worry. Yeah, I like so we're kind of stuck with it. It's fine. But it is, you know, hosted by Wendy West. That's right. Here I am. So thank you for hosting 100 episodes. It's uh, pretty yeah. dang exciting. It is. Very special, fun day. So as we promised, we're doing something special for our 100th episode. Those of you who listen regularly have been wondering what that might be. I've been wondering what that might be. <laughs> That's true. Wendy knows, and I do, I do. I'm still kind of figuring this out. Okay. We're learning. Yeah. What are we doing? So we have questions from uh, different Catholic um, sort of celebrities uh, that we have to share with you today and i know who they are Uh uh, you don't so Uh i'm going to be giving you a little hint and then you and i will watch a video of the person asking the question and then respond we do have yeah i think we have seven or eight people to hear from today so it's so it's gonna be an extended episode extended a little extra like it's like a party welcome to our party so our first question is from a Catholic husband and father. Am I supposed to guess? Is no, this, no, no, no. You just listen to okay. my comments, okay? Okay, okay. He's an author and chastity speaker with whom you have collaborated on many projects. Could it be Jason? Just, just Everett? Watch. Just Could watch. it be? Just All right, see. here we go. Christopher and Wendy, congratulations on the 100th podcast. You guys are doing an amazing job for the church as always. In terms of a question for you today, I actually have two uh, first one, Christopher, what is your favorite ever story in the life of St. John Paul II? Uh, any experiences you've had with him or stories you've heard about him? I want to hear that one. And then secondly, I had a priest back home in uh, San Diego who once said that the spiritual life is all about strategies uh, and moments of temptation, things like that. And so one question I always get, I'd love to hear your reply on, is like, what, what's a good strategy in the very moment of temptation when you experience an attraction, a desire uh, that you can't move forward on, whether it's a, a young person tempted on the internet or someone experiencing same-sex attractions or temptations in marriage anywhere. Uh, what is something in that moment of temptation that someone can grab onto as a strategy for pursuing God and his will in their life? I look forward to hearing the answer. God bless you, and you guys keep up the wonderful work. Well, thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate that. So first is a story. Mm-hmm of JP2, one of my favorite stories yes. of JP2. Um, well, I can I can tell a couple stories from meeting him. Mm-hmm. Uh, have we talked about this on the podcast? I don't I think, think, I don't know. I think I have a, some memory that we did this actually recently. But anyway, I, I met JP2 in 1995 when I was a student uh, at the JP2 Institute. Right. And I told him I was a student at his institute, uh-huh. and he responded to me, student. Oh, say it like JP2 said it. Ah, student. There you student. go. Student. <laughs> and then I, gave, I was a, 
well, I still am a musician, and I had an album that I had recorded of my original music, which was called Pilgrim, mm -hmm. which I gave to the Pope, and he said, ah, Pilgrim. <laughs> so those are the two words he said to me, student and pilgrim, mm. uh, when I met him in 1995. And then when I met him in 2001, I showed him a picture of you and our two children at the mm. time. And he was much more interested in learning about our family than he was in learning about my work that I was also telling him about. Mm -hmm. So those were the takeaways in my personal encounters with John Paul II. Ah, student and pilgrim and family, mm -hmm. our family. But I think one of my favorite all-time stories of John Paul II, one that stays with me, is uh, when it was the Jubilee year 2000, Mm -hmm. And John Paul II was, uh, he, he said, and I forget where I read this, it might have been his letter at the, probably was his letter at the close of the Jubilee. Mm -hmm. He said he would stand at his window and look, at, look out at the thousands and thousands of pilgrims who would walk through uh, the holy doors at St. Peter's. And this was so telling, this is why I love it, it's so telling of his heart mm -hmm. and the way he sees the person. He says, I would look out at the crowds and I'd look down at individual people. And he said, I would imagine the story of a life. Mm -hmm. I love that about John Paul II. He wasn't just looking at the crowd. He was looking at individual persons and imagining the story of their life. That's who he was. That's who he has taught me to be. And you'll, you'll, you can witness to this that there'll be times when I'm driving or and I look over at somebody in another car and I say, wonder who is that person? What is that person's story? What has this person been through? Or I'll be at a restaurant and I'll look across the the restaurant at somebody looking at a menu and I'll just wonder who is that? Mm -hmm. And what what has this person suffered? What does this person hope for? What does this person long for? Anyway, I learned that from John Paul II and it's a great blessing in my life. Yes, I agree. As far as strategies, this is Jason's second question, right. strategies in moments of temptation to, to remind oneself of the Lord and what's really important in life. I think it's so important that we understand that when we are tempted to do something we shouldn't do, there's some genuine human desire but a counterfeit is holding itself out to us as the fulfillment of mm -hmm. that desire. And I've taken it as a strategy in my own life when I'm faced with temptation to say, Lord, what is the real desire underneath this mm -hmm. apparent desire? I apparently want this or I wouldn't be tempted by it. Right. But there's something deeper I'm after and this is, this is holding out some false fulfillment mm -hmm. of it. If I can get myself in touch with the real desire and open that to its genuine fulfillment, well, then the temptation loses its grasp on me. It doesn't have me anymore. And there are little little psalms that come to mind, little lines from psalms that come to mind that really have helped me over the years. One is, I treasure your promises in my heart, lest I sin against you. What I love about that, that line in the psalms is, it's saying exactly what I just said. There is a real desire here that has a real fulfillment. That's his promise. Mm -hmm. His promise is he's going to fulfill the deepest desires mm -hmm. of our hearts. So I treasure that 
in my heart. Lord, I treasure your promises in my heart, lest I sin against you. Because if I don't believe in these promises, if I don't treasure them in my heart, then I'm I'm left to the idea that the the fulfillment of my desires is is up to me, and I got to take whatever I can get. And here I'm reminded of something my mentor said, Lorenzo Albacetti. He said, every temptation comes down to one temptation. It's the temptation to believe that the fulfillment of the deepest desires of my heart is totally up to me. Mm-hmm. Lord, I treasure your promises in my heart is the antidote to that lie, because his promise is he wants to fulfill the deepest desires of our hearts. Jason, I hope that's helpful to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so grateful to know you, Jason. You've been a great collaborator over the years on all kinds of projects we've done together. And and uh, I'll never forget the first time Jason and I corresponded. It was the late 90s when he and I were both getting started yes. in, our, in our work. And um, somebody told him, if I'm remembering the conversation rightly, somebody told him that he was like the Christopher West for teens or something like that. Um, cause I was going more after an adult mm-hmm. audience. Uh, Jason, I know also teaches to a- adults, but at the time he was doing mostly stuff for, mm-hmm. for young people. <laughs> anyway, thanks Jason. Yes, Appreciate thank that. Thank you. Thank you. Next question is from a young priest with whom you have worked, um, in different ways in the Institute. Uh, he's been a chaplain. He's got oh. a pilgrimage. Oh. He's written blogs. Oh. Okay. I think I know who it is. What's up, Christopher and Wendy? Congratulations on your 100th episode of the podcast, Ask Christopher West, hosted by Wendy West, starring Christopher West. I'm just so proud of you guys, and thank you so much for the incredible work you've done with this. Um, It's been awesome. I've listened to just about every single one since the beginning, and it's been just such a joy uh, listening to you guys just as a couple kind of do this venture together. So um, it's awesome. So here's my question for you. Um, both, it's for both of you. You can both share. So the same, uh, the same saint, St. John Paul II, the same saint gave us both the theology of the body and he was the great promoter of the divine mercy devotion from St. Faustina. In your opinion, why do you think it is that God has joined together these two incredible streams uh, in this one guy's heart? Why did both Divine Mercy and T.O.B. come into the world in many ways through St. John Paul II? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Love you guys. Thank you so much, and congratulations again. God bless. Thanks, Father Patrick. Thank you. I, I just want to begin by saying I, I don't get to hear you speak nearly as often as you know some people do, like mm-hmm. people who travel with you and mm-hmm. things like that, but I remember specifically going with you to a, um, a Divine Mercy conference in New York City, oh, yeah, yeah. where that. you were a speaker and um, talked about theology of the body and divine mercy. So I feel a special connection to this question yeah. because I was so privileged to be there at, on, at that conference. Yeah, that conference was um, a, a, an opportunity for me to kind of bring together thoughts I've had for many years. Why have these two great gifts to the church both come out of Poland and uh, although the Divine Mercy devotion did not originate with John Paul II, originated with St. Faustina, mm-hmm. John Paul II was one of the main promoters of her work, and he canonized her, of course. Uh, so and that, she's Polish. And she's Polish, right. <laughs> so the connection, I think, is, is pretty straightforward in as much as the theology of the body is holding out to us 
the fullness of what it means to be men and women created in the image and likeness of God. And there is a tremendous gap in our fallen condition between that fullness and where we actually are mm -hmm. in our ability to live that out. And mercy fills in that gap. You and I can speak to all kinds of experiences over 25 years of marriage where we saw this vision right from the start. We wanted to live it. We were already studying it and teaching it when we got married. And man, it's been a crash course on our need for divine mercy in our marriages where we have wanted to live that out, but just run up against our own broken, wounded humanity. And if mercy is not real, then there, there's really no, there's no hope. It, it's really the theology of the body, the vision it holds out to us, if divine mercy is not real, is uh, it's this beautiful thing that we can never attain. Mercy reaches us where we are in our broken humanity and opens us to that grace that enables us step by step to grow into the men and women we're created to be. But again, without mercy, man, it's, it's an ideal that we can never achieve, and that's, that's, uh, that's a pretty hopeless, desperate situation. And I just add that it, it is an expression of the merciful heart of the Lord that he has um, given us the gift of theology of the body. Amen. It is, it is uh, so many people have experienced this as a miracle of mercy, a miracle of being redeemed, by the loving heart of Christ and empowered to live as they hadn't before. Yeah. And that's the gift of mercy. Yeah, there, there are two other insights I want to add here about the connection between theology of the body and divine mercy. And to do so, you have to look at, at two words the church uses for mercy. The first is the Latin word misericordia, and then the Hebrew word rahamim. Uh, misericordia means a heart that gives itself to those in misery, and that's a more masculine reality. We think of Christ on the cross, the flow of blood and water, to think of the divine mercy image that mm -hmm. Christ is pulling his, his garment aside and the flow of blood and water is coming from his heart, those rays of mercy. That's that gift of the bridegroom to the bride. Mm -hmm. But rahamim is, is Hebrew for, for womb, uh, a feminine dimension of mercy. And so we have Mary, the mother of mercy, at the foot of the cross. And, and those familiar with my work certainly know about the unity cross, where, where Mary is holding a chalice at the foot of the cross in this depiction and receiving the flow of blood and water. The chalice is this feminine image of receiving, mm -hmm. uh, and it can, can even be understood as a, a womb-like receiving. Uh, but the mother of mercy... Mary, what that idea is, rahamim, it means mercy always gives us the chance of being born anew, mm -hmm. of being regenerated. And that's, that's the gift of theology. The body itself is revealing to us the meaning of masculinity and femininity as a sign of the whole mystery of Christ's love for the church. And that culminates in the divine mercy revealed at the cross. So... Anyway, there's a, maybe a more theological answer yeah. to Father Patrick's question.
Next question is from a religious sister from Toronto, Canada, who's passionate about sharing Theology of the Body through media. Congratulations, Christopher and Wendy, on your 100th podcast. My question is, what is the secret of a good marriage? What is the secret of your marriage? Sister Helena Burns. Wow. The secret of a good marriage. Then she said the secret of Of our our marriage. marriage. What is the secret of a good marriage? And then I would hope it would be the same. (laughs) That's true. I think she means it that way. Let's just go with this, this, the secret of our marriage. I'd have to lean back on what we were just talking about. Mercy. Uh, the, I've said it many, many times over the years, that, and I really believe it. That's why I've said it so many times. The number one ingredient of a successful marriage is mercy. I remember a time, Wendy, where I was feeling so confronted by my failures in our marriage. And it was a Sunday morning. We had been up late the night before talking about various things in our relationship that needed to be looked at. And you were downstairs playing on the piano. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. And I was just overwhelmed by the tenderness of that moment of recognizing how deeply I needed God's mercy in our marriage, in my life, and how it was flowing. It was given, and it was coming through your heart to me. Uh, so I would say the, the secret of, of our marriage is, is openness to God's mercy. Mm. I love that. I love that as we are, in TOB terms, historical man, you know, yes. we need that mercy. I think as we receive that mercy, we're able to also experience one another as gift, you know, and yes. that recognition of the tremendous, unbelievable gift of another human being entrusted to our hearts, each one of us, um, is is like Adam marveling at the gift of Eve is a similar marveling in Eve's heart not recorded, but we know it's yes, there yes. Um, at the gift. And I think it it takes us to the foundation of God's love for us and how he has expressed that through the other person, both as gift and as source of mercy. Yeah, and we're back also to what we were saying about the relationship between theology of the body and mercy, that I'd see, I mean, it's, it's kind of a given that the need for mercy becomes all the more evident when you see what you're called to and how far you are from it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really the gift of the theology of the body is that it gives you a vision for what you're called to. And it's a glorious vision. We are called to something so stunningly amazing. It, it puts us on our knees in awe and wonder and gratitude for the, the greatness of the gift of, of the calling of being men and women made in the image of God, and, and if you're living that out in the married state, what that means specifically. But it also puts you on your knees in recognizing your need for mercy. Yes. Amen. Yeah. So thanks, Sister Helena. Yes. 
I can't decide which to say about this person first because it's like, remember when we used to play I'm Thinking of a Guy? Yeah, you know, yeah. Any clue I give you, you're, you're going to think know. of it. Yeah. <laughs> Although if I start with Catholic husband and father, that still keeps it kind of open. Okay, but if okay. I say disciple of Thomas Aquinas, if I say from a land down under, you're going to know who I'm talking about. G'day, Wendy and Christopher. Congrats on the 100th episode. My question for you is, why is it, at least it seems to me as I read scripture, that after people commit an act of idolatry, it usually follows that they're having an orgy, you know, or they're falling into sexual immorality. Uh, Romans 1 talks about this. I'm thinking of the, the incident with the golden calf. I have my theories. I'm sure yours are a lot more interesting and accurate. So what do you think? All right, Matt Fred. Uh, asking a very interesting question that I don't know why I laughed the way he said it. Um, it's not funny, but the way he said it was kind of funny. Uh, why does idolatry tend towards sexual immorality? Uh, and and these, he gave some biblical examples of of idolatry, then followed up by all kinds of sexual revelry. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that. Throughout human history, the number one idol has been sex. And I think it's pretty clear why that is the case. And this is how I would answer the question. That sex has been the number one idol throughout human history because in God's plan, the union of man and woman in one flesh, as Scripture would put it, is the number one icon of the divine mystery. So from beginning to end, the Bible tells the story about marriage. It begins with the marriage of man and woman in Genesis. It ends with the marriage of Christ and the church in the book of Revelation. And the whole purpose of the beginning of the story is to give us an icon of the end of the story, to give us a foreshadowing, a sign, a window to heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, our podcast listeners have heard me say this many times over these hundred episodes. The whole Bible in five words is God wants to marry us. Mm -hmm. And as John Paul II says, the summa, the compendium of everything God wants to tell us about who he is and who we are and why we're here and how we are to live and what our destiny is and how to get there is contained in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 to 32, where St. Paul links these two bookends of the Bible and says the one flesh union is a great mystery that refers to Christ and the mm. church. So whenever... Whenever God establishes a covenant with his people in, in the scriptures, you will see the call to become one flesh. You'll see the call to be fruitful and multiply, because that's the main icon. The human tendency is to turn icons into idols. The human tendency is to see in the icon this taste of heaven, but because it's, in God's plan, a beautiful taste of heaven— we start to absolutize the taste of heaven, and we treat it as if it is our heaven, meaning our ultimate fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And that's how the icon degenerates into an idol. Mm. So that's why I think, in answer to Matt Frad's question, why are idolatry and sexual immorality so closely united? Mm -hmm. That's why, because we're ten tempted, ten we tend to turn icons into idols, and the number one icon is the union of man and woman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything you want to add to that? We know that there's something about the, the tr deep truth of who we are that's contained in our sexuality. And we know that 
the evil one doesn't want us to understand what our sexuality right, really right. means. And the evil one is absolutely excited about all forms of idolatry, anything that turns the eyes of creatures away from their creator, from the one who can really satisfy them, the one to whom our true worship is due. And he, he just delights to confuse us and have us focus on something less than the beauty of our true dignity and our mm -hmm. true calling. Mm -hmm. and, and these activities that Matt was referencing are so beneath our dignity as human beings. And they, they don't lead to true joy and meaning. They lead to emptiness, but a temporary thrill that sort of exciting and kind of confirming some kind of, you know, oh yeah, isn't this great kind of right, feeling, right. but it's, it's so empty. And I think that's just the, the sad trick that's being played on us over and over again. Yeah. You, I, the expression that jumped out at me when you were talking was temporary thrill. Mm -hmm. That's all an idol can give us. Mm -hmm. And we fall into idolatry precisely when we exchange the promise of eternal joy for a temporary thrill. Mm -hmm. And and there's a there's a line in the catechism that says something like this, this is the paraphrase, but that sacramental reality in and what does that mean? A world where all of creation is a sign of that eternal reality. There's always a temptation, the catechism says, towards idolatry in a sacramental world. Mm. Because God made the beautiful things of this earth to bring us pleasure, to bring us joy. But it's a temporal joy. It's not a lasting joy. Nothing in this world lasts forever, not even our marriage, mm -hmm. right? Um, why does Jesus say in the resurrection, we're no longer given in marriage? Because the sign gives way to the ultimate reality. The, the, the goal is, is to become one who sees the world as so many icons, right? Windows to heaven. And we're back to what we were saying earlier about uh, Jason Everett's question about, you know, uh, a, a practical advice in temptation. Uh, the, the temptation is, is inevitably to turn some icon into an idol. And so to treasure, when I said, Lord, I treasure your promises in my heart, lest I sin against you, that's another way of saying, Lord, thank you for all the icons in this world that point me to your promises. Help me not to turn these icons into idols. Mm -hmm. Help me not to throw away the promise of eternal joy for what did you say a, a temporal temporary a temporary thrill mm -hmm. yeah the next question comes from a gifted musician who's also a lover of sauce could it be mr michael mangioni hello christopher and wendy congratulations on 100 episodes uh, i have a question for you it's a two-parter number one if you could have anybody throughout history any musician throughout history at one of your courses for the five-day course, just sitting there and taking it in, any musician, who would it be? Number two, second part, if you could be the front, the lead per, front man, for, you know, lead person in a band, current band, um, and it's not weird, nobody, it, it all makes sense in the world. Now all of a sudden you're the person that's leading the band and you're, and the music's the same, but you're able to infuse 
T.O.B. into the music to reach the masses. What band would that be? But it cannot be U2 or Springsteen in the East Street. Come on! <laughs> That's mean! It was. Why did he add that condition? See, well, the contest was going to be... Is Between it, those yeah, two. Yeah, is it going to be Bono or Springsteen? And now he said, I can't even... Oh, no, no. But you can for the first question. I can for the first question. Mm -hmm. All right. Who do I want to come to one of the five-day courses, mm -hmm. Bono or Springsteen? That would be mm. who it boils down to. <laughs> he didn't actually limit that to those two choices. But no, that's, he didn't. But it, that, that's it's, how you feel. Yeah, that's how I feel about I it. There's no you. no doubt. If I, I it would, ha oh, gosh, darn it. I would just have to flip a coin, honestly, because <laughs> I would want both of them there. Their music has meant so much to me. Um Gosh darn it! I don't, I don't know. I, I we would, I'd have to flip a coin between Bono and Springsteen. Mike, that's the only answer I can give you. I'd have to flip a coin. Okay, well if you ask between me, Bono I would and Springsteen. choose Springsteen. I you would, would? Springsteen. yeah, would. over Bono. Why would you choose mm -hmm. Springsteen over Bono? Because he's only his, a couple hours away. He lives close by. <laughs> <laughs> no, because because I I sense that readiness in him and I'm excited you to know what share Wendy I think I think you you may be onto something there there, <laughs> there might be a better chance with Springsteen <laughs> that it would actually sink in yep how about that That's, wouldn't that be awesome yes yeah that would be pretty awesome and the second question was if I could be the front man yeah for a band for That's... a band but it can't be yeah the E Street band and it can't be you too no. well um and it can't be historical. They have to be current. They have to be current. Yeah. Gosh, I heard that too. <laughs> hard question. That Mike. is a hard question, Mike. Um, gosh, I don't even know. I, if I he's taken away my my he did that on purpose. He did to make it really hard. <laughs> that means I don't know how to answer it. Who would it be? Who who's uh, Mike? You made it too hard. I'm I'm. <laughs> No, that's wrong. I'm just gonna say that's wrong. You can't do that to me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore the, that, condition. that condition. Okay. And I'm gonna become the front man of you too. Okay. <laughs> All right. But 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 Bono would have to die or something. But but Mike said it makes sense. So, okay, so in makes that sense abstract in the world, world, you're you're the okay. yeah. You can't take that away from me, Mike. I don't okay. appreciate that. And what's your what's your opening song then? The opening song would be Desire. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Next question is from a Catholic wife and mother whom you've known since her single days. I just have to see. Okay. Catholic wife and mother. So, oh. Hi, Wendy. It's Aww. Stacey Mangioni. In First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, Always be prepared to give an account for the hope that's in you. That's a paraphrase, but I would love to know what is one truth that God has been speaking to your heart recently that you would be excited to share with people. I look forward to hearing. God bless. Bye. Stacy Mangione. Was that directed to you, I think? No, certainly not. <laughs> I think it was. Oh, Stacy, you're not supposed to ask me surprise questions. That's not how the podcast works, but because you're my friend, I will answer your question. Really something the Lord has been speaking to my heart recently has to do with COVID actually, because I, we, our family um, has been sick with COVID. And I found that, and many of our listeners who've had this illness may have also found this too, that in addition to being ill and taking care of sick people in our household, there's a lot of other dimensions to this sickness that has to do with the complexity of getting tested, 
the complexity of contacting people that you may have exposed to it, um, of accomplishing normal tasks while in quarantine. So there's a lot of layers of difficulty that go with COVID. And we should just say, because listeners are going to wonder, that we're, we're okay. Yeah, we're, we're basically okay. We, we, we have, relatively speaking, a very yes. mild experience with it, thanks be to God. Yes, but it was an occasion where I kind of felt overwhelmed. And um, the thing the Lord was speaking to me, to my heart, was to see not... Um, just kind of stress and burdens, but to experience him calling me, to experience mm. him really close to each one of us and just calling me to see what he's doing in in our life right now. It was very like focusing, you know, you're not about your normal life, you're right. about different tasks and to not just kind of go it alone, but somehow to recognize his voice calling me and really I'm not perfect at doing that and at, recently I, I did kind of get overwhelmed again by that kind of feeling of uh, trying to handle too much on my own and I really had to step aside and reconnect with that he's with me and he's he's calling what's he what's he calling when he's, you say he's calling he's calling meaning that nothing is being just um it's not a burden. It's a, it's a follow me. Mm. It's a respond to my love in, in these situations. So this is something he's allowed that becomes yeah. a calling to trust yep. and follow mm -hmm. rather than just a burden to, yep. yeah, man, if we could carry that lesson, what, what can we not face mm. if we can be in that posture? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really? I, as soon as you said that, I really, like something just crystallized for me about the whole Christian life, that our ultimate enemy, and this is something I've been reflecting on. Uh, I just finished a book by Cardinal Ratzinger called Eschatology, and it's a really thick theology book, mm -hmm. not easy reading. But there was a line in there about death as our ultimate enemy and what is our disposition to that? Mm -hmm. And it's exactly along these lines you were saying, if we can if we can receive something like a positive COVID test that we had in our family, and then it went through most everybody in the family, with trust, and what crystallized when I said what you just said, there was something that crystallized for me. It's like, well, the, oh my gosh, we could face death. We could face death mm -hmm. and trust. If we're in that disposition, then... Love conquers even death. Love is stronger than death, as it mm. says in the Song of yes. Songs. Thank you for sharing that, because something just mm. came together for me. Mm. Something clicked way down in there. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. We can trust you in all things. So the next question is from a Catholic husband. Another Catholic. We have father. all these Catholic husbands and fathers. Aren't they awesome? Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Catholic husbands and fathers all over. I guess I know a few Catholic husbands and fathers out there. He's an author and speaker. How about that? And he is a real-life Catholic. Ah, uh -huh. mm -hmm. okay. Christopher West, so grateful for you and for your work, man. Your passion and mine is sharing the core gospel message with people, and you do that primarily through theology of the body. What's the overlap? You know, how, how do you, how is theology of the body particularly effective in uh, communicating the heart of the charisma, that, that basic gospel message of the love of God for us 
And uh, yeah, why is it? Why is it? Uh, why does it work so well? in all your years of doing this? Thank you, Chris Stefanik. I appreciate that question. In fact, this takes me into my love. This is why I have given my life to Theology of the Body. And I'm so glad to get this question from Chris Stefanik because he he's one of the greatest uh, evangelists of, of uh, I'm just going to say it because I think it's it may be true, he's one of the greatest evangelists of our generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, a, a great love for Chris and his work, his, the way he communicates the gospel. And when he gave a talk for our virtual conference last May, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is still available, <laughs> True. check out the link in the show notes to see how you can get access to all the talks from our virtual conference last May and our more recent TOB Congress, end of commercial. Um, <laughs> but I was so moved. I was going through the talks last May uh, from our speakers. Mm-hmm. And when I came to Chris Stefanik's talk, I was so moved by his creative presentation of the basic message of the gospel. I, I, I got in touch with him after I heard his talk, and I, I just shared my heart with him and, and my deep love for what he was doing. And anyway, um, so hearing this question from him is particularly mm-hmm. meaningful for me because we, sh- we share this basic love as evangelists, and mm-hmm. I've always considered myself more than... Uh, and a theologian more than a catechist, I consider myself an evangelist. Mm-hmm. And Chris is asking, how does theology of the body help with presenting the basic kerygma, meaning the fundamental message mm-hmm. that we want to share with the world about the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, I said it just earlier. Here's the whole Bible in five words. God wants to marry us. And it's not an abstraction. It's not a message that's up there in the clouds somewhere. You don't have to climb a mountain to find it. There is an image of the very gospel message itself chiseled by God right in our bodies. Uh, Discovering theology of the body for me demonstrated to me that the gospel was not in any way disconnected from my life. It was not something imposed on me from the outside. It welled up right from my deepest longings and questions, which are always related to my creation as a male and the desires I have as a man for, for love, for union, for, for affirmation, for I want to know why I exist. I want to know where I'm headed. And these questions are inexplicable apart from the mystery of human sexuality. None of us would exist if it weren't for the union of our parents and their parents and their parents and their parents and their parents, the whole way back to the beginning of time. So there's a line in the catechism that I I love and I I teach from often. It says, where do I come from? Where am I going? These two questions are inseparable Mm -hmm. and they are indispensable if we are to understand who we are, the meaning of our lives and our basic orientation, Mm -hmm. which is another way of saying these two questions, where do I come from, where am I going, are indispensable in understanding what the gospel message is. Mm. But notice also these two questions, where do I come from, where am I going, are also intimately intertwined with the mystery of human sexuality, Mm -hmm. with the mystery of our creation as male and female in the image and likeness of God. I often say to my audiences, everybody has a belly button, and your belly button tells you where you come from. You come from obviously your mother, but you weren't just plopped there. You came from the union of your mother and your father. 
And the whole way back to the beginning of time, your belly button tells the story. If you follow it, it'll tell the story that takes you the whole way back to the Big Bang. Mm. And a few inches down from your belly button, your genitals tell you that you're called to pay it forward. Mm -hmm. We're called to, to go forward. If, if, if human beings stopped having sexual intercourse today, there's no future, right? So the belly button points us to the sexual past. Our genitals point us to our sexual future. The, the, the future of the human race depends mm -hmm. on the loving union of man and woman. So where do we ultimately go? Where do we ultimately come from? The Big Bang, where, which is brought out by the love of God, right? It's not some Big Bang as in some impersonal mm -hmm. force. It takes us back to the very love of God that shot the whole universe into being. And the mystery of human sexuality also takes us forward the whole way to what Scripture calls the marriage of the Lamb. Mm -hmm. So my proclaiming of the gospel is the proclaiming of the theology of the body. The two are synonymous with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, some some think, well, you got to proclaim the gospel before people can understand theology of the body. And I say, I don't understand the distinction. <laughs> theology of the body is the mystery of God taking flesh. That's what theology of the body is. That's what Christmas is. That's what Christianity is. It's the mystery of the Word mm -hmm. made flesh. And I'm struck by uh, the, the idea of of love and gift in in what you were just sharing the the gift of god's love in creation the the sharing in love and gift that is the union of our parents and that enables us to cooperate with god's uh, plan for the future and that that isn't limited to married people because all people yes, in every yes, stage yes. of life experience God's love and his self-gift and have that transform them into being able to love and be a gift. Yes, yes. Which brings me to another point, which is another way of addressing Christophanic's question. The new commandment, love one another as mm -hmm. I have loved you, which is a summary of the whole gospel, is chiseled by God right in our bodies. Uh, this again shows that the gospel invitation is not something imposed on me from the outside. It is literally chiseled in my very being. Mm -hmm. A man's body makes no sense by itself. A woman's body makes no sense by itself. Seen in light of each other, unless we're blind, and that's a big tragedy in the modern world, we are becoming more and more blind to this truth. What truth? That man and woman are designed for a holy communion. We are created to become a gift to one another, a life-giving gift. Yes. And that gift, that life-giving union, is just a little, little glimmer of our eternal destiny, which is the marriage of the Lamb. The Bible begins with the marriage. It ends with the marriage. The New Testament begins with the marriage of God and man, marries the bride. She says yes to the eternal wedding proposal, and she conceives eternal life in her womb. The gospel is written in the body. And if we abstract from the body in our proclamation of the gospel, then we're not proclaiming the gospel. In fact, this is the very litmus test, St. John says, for knowing whether you're in the vein of the Holy Spirit or the unholy spirits, right? The Holy Spirit recognizes the Word made flesh. The mm -hmm. unholy spirits are trying to, to disincarnate or excarnate the gospel. If the gospel seems like an abstraction to you, 
then it hasn't been linked to the body. And if it hasn't been linked to the body, it's, it's not the gospel. It's not Christianity. Mm. So, Chris, I hope that helps. Thanks for your question. I have a question from a Catholic wife and mother. All right. Finally. <laughs> no, we had one from Stacy Manjoni Stacey, earlier. That's yes. Right. Who, with her husband, shares a ministry of humor. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Hi, it's Jamie Gaffigan and the whole Gaffigan family here. And we wanted to say congratulations on your 100th episode and um, have a question for you. If you were to have any of Jesus' disciples, one of the original 12, at one of your courses, which one would you want it to be? Huh. We're waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, Jeannie yeah. and Gaffigan family. Yes. Uh, wow, I've never had that question asked yeah. of me. Good one. Any of the 12 at one of my courses? Well, I, I think I know. I think I might know, too. I, I love Peter. I can relate to all his foibles, and he's so encouraging to me in his foibles mm -hmm. because of my own foibles, but that's not who I'd have. Do you know who I'd do you want to say who you think? John the Beloved. Yeah, be John the Beloved. <laughs> now, why do you, how do you know? How, how, do you, how did you know? How did I know yeah. that? I think of him placing his head on Christ's chest at mm. the Last Supper. I, and it's just such an image of, of intimacy with the Lord and awareness of the, both the generous giving of the Lord and the, need we have for his strength and yeah. our weakness. Yeah. Those are the things that strike me. Yeah, all of those strike me deeply as well. I, It's my favorite gospel. That's why I think I, I would John's choose John. Gospel. His gospel, gospel is my favorite. It's such a deck, not that the others are not, um, but there's, there's such a declaration of the incarnation. It seems silly to say that. I mean, every gospel is a declaration of the incarnation, but John's angle. You know, in the other Gospels, we begin with kind of the narrative mm -hmm. of the Christmas story, uh, which is beautiful and insightful and wonderful. But John begins with that prologue, in the beginning was the Word, right? And, and it culminates in that Word that was God and was with God. That Word became flesh. Mm. We've seen His glory. And this brings me back also to Chris Stefanik's question, about what's the connection between theology of the body and the gospel. John says, it's in one of his letters, it's that which I've seen with my eyes, it's that which I've touched with my hands, mm -hmm. that I proclaim to you the very word of life. How did he see this word of life? How did he, how did he encounter it and touch, yeah. touch it with his hands? That word was made flesh, flesh, it's incarnate. So Jeannie, in answer to your question, I would love to have John at one of my courses. But he, even as I say that, it seems silly because, <laughs> wait a minute, teach the wait a minute. If John were at the course, I wouldn't be teaching <laughs> it. Right. He'd be up there and I'd be sitting out there as a student. That's so true. Right? Too. So <laughs> that's kind of a funny way to uh, answer the question. But that, yeah, if John came to my course, I wouldn't be giving You'd the course. <laughs> I'd sit down and, and learn. That's so true. Well, that was really fun yeah. to go through those. Thank you to everybody. We hope you guys have enjoyed this extended special mm -hmm. 100th episode edition of the podcast. If you have been blessed by this podcast, share it with somebody. Mm -hmm. Hit that little share button. Get the message out to others. 
And if you've been blessed by the work of the Theology of the Body Institute, we encourage you to consider becoming a patron. We can't do what we do without the support of all of our patrons. Thank you. If you are already a patron, thank you, thank you, thank you for that little monthly offering towards our mission and ministry. It goes a long way to enable us to do what we do. So until next time, the 101st episode, remember, you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.